Welcome to Marketing Success with Podcast Advertising. Have you been hearing the buzz about podcast advertising, but aren't sure where to begin? Join us here as we discover how to create a positive ROI and learn the best practices and tips from companies just like yours who have experienced great results. Now here's your host, Heather Osgood. When I started in the podcast space about three and a half years ago, I had the vision to build a business that would help brands and podcasts, but I didn't know much about the industry. Patty Newmark of PodSearch was one of the first agency owners I had the pleasure of speaking with. She and her husband, Dave Newmark, are a wealth of knowledge and have so much experience in the space. In today's episode, Dave breaks down their approach to podcast advertising and how they are able to leverage the medium to get great results for their clients. Here's my interview with Dave Newmark. All right, welcome back to the program. I'm so happy to be here with Dave Newmark from PodSurge. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dave. It's a great pleasure. So Dave, you have been in the advertising industry for many years, and I know your company in particular has focused on podcasts for the last several. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Sure. It's really, uh, it's been a, a, I would call it an audio evolution. It began uh, with advertising on radio, local radio stations, uh, doing buying and, and production and so forth. And then uh, that pivoted to doing what we call endorsement radio uh, locally, and then eventually nationally working in, let's call it endorsement radio with, with hosts who could do commercials in their own show. Then, you know, really in the early 2000s, uh, that's where, let's say 2005, 2006, uh, we started moving into the podcast world. That was, uh, of course, uh, way before the Apple app was launched, but the iPhone came out in 2007, and really that, you know, began the, the ascent of podcasts, um, but we were early in on it uh, from an advertising perspective, bringing our our clients along with us. And really, I would say over the years, our podcast business and practice has grown far greater than our radio practice, which actually has shrunk uh, because of the power of podcast advertising. And I find it fascinating that you started in podcasts when they were so early on. I know that there has been a huge growth in podcasting in the last probably three to four years, but you saw the value before it sounds like most people did. So um, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm curious what at that time made you guys consider podcasts as a viable vehicle for advertising? Well, there were a number of factors, Heather. One of them was the fact that we could align ourselves with hosts who were not employees of a radio station. And I point that mm-hmm. out not to really denigrate radio, but uh, when, a, when a show host uh, goes on to a radio station or a radio program, let's say it's a network syndication or something like that, they are essentially employees of the network or employees of the station. So they sign on, they sign off, and, and they will do what is asked of them. Most of the podcasts are owned and produced and narrated by the owner of the show, the hosts themselves. And so they have a vested interest in really giving the advertising their all, and, and they're personally invested. The second factor is that it's easier to work with them in a, in a fashion of you know, talking about the product from a personal experience standpoint, or if they can't use the product personally, at least talking about the company from a, a personal perspective. And that kind of credibility lends itself to a lot more response in the case of response-oriented uh, companies or 
more effective spots when it's a, a brand and there's not a direct response element. A third uh, part of it has to do with the the nature of the consumption of podcast media. And I'll talk about that for a moment, which is that it's an intimate medium. It's generally the majority of the people who are listening to podcasts are listening on a mobile device and they're listening on the go. They're walking around from room to room in their house or they're taking a walk uh, outside or they're at the gym or they're driving or they're usually doing something else. Uh, And most recent research of bears that out, that it's usually the second thing that people are doing. And when they are doing that, sec- that second thing, that other thing, you know, could be folding clothes or washing the dishes or whatever it is, it's generally something that is done by habit and doesn't require uh, the part of the brain that is processing high-level thoughts. It's usually in the, in the base of your brain, as it turns out uh, scientifically, uh, where habit uh, is executed. And so that frees up the, the frontal cortex of the mind to think about higher thoughts. So when you have a mobile device and you've got headphones that are blocking out the sounds and distractions around you, and you've got the, let's call it free processing power of your frontal cortex, it really means that you are able to absorb the thoughts and the ideas and, and, what, and the words being spoken by the host in a way that's not possible in, in pretty much any other uh, audio format, especially radio. And so consequently, when the host then moves from, let's call it the, the content of the show to the message that is being sponsored, um, it's being absorbed in a way and with an intensity that's unparalleled. Very, very well spoken. Yeah, that is totally the case. And I'm curious because you have your roots in endorsement ads. I see so much power in the endorsement ad None of us really likes to hear ads, right? But we all love to hear about great products and services, especially when those products and services are being shared um, by someone that we know, like, and trust. And so I'm, I'm curious, what do you see as being the real power of the endorsement ad? Well, this has to do with uh, a few different factors. One of them I brought up earlier, which is the fact that the owner of the show is usually the host. Uh, as opposed to being an employee of a station or a network. And so they can be pickier and they mm-hmm. can be choosier uh, about the endorsements that they, they decide to do. And so that's, that's an element that makes it more powerful. A second is that the listeners know that the sponsors are making it possible to listen to the show for free. And the hosts make that known to their listeners. They will sometimes say things like, you know, please call on these various companies that are sponsoring our show because it helps support the show, which means that you get to listen to it free. So there, there's that appeal, so to speak, that general appeal by the hosts themselves. Um, a third part of it has to do with the um, credibility of the host. Generally speaking, in marketing, word of mouth marketing is considered to be the most effective form of marketing there is. Well, uh, when you have uh, someone listening to a host on a regular basis because they really enjoy the show, and that host who they have in a way come to know in, a, in an intimate way because of the, uh, the, you know, the listening pattern of putting in their earphones and being, not having distractions and, and thinking about it and so forth and looking forward to the next episode. Well, when that host uh, gives a personal recommendation, it carries a lot of credibility. And so um, with all of those other factors, uh, that's one of the, those are some of the things that make it it's such a powerful medium. I'll yeah. point out one more thing, which has to do with the Let's, let's call it the credibility is enhanced by the content that they're doing. So, for example, the listeners generally feel 
that the hosts are very knowledgeable about whatever it is they're talking about. It could be food and cooking. It could be true crime. It could be politics. It could be history. It could be self-help or love and relationships, whatever it is. Generally speaking, the credibility comes from the fact that the listeners know that the hosts have a lot of knowledge. And so um, I believe that the endorsement is enhanced by that because uh, whatever the topic is, however niche, the listeners know that those hosts uh, speak from a place of knowledge. That's such an interesting observation. I've never really thought about it that way. I've always thought about the fact that you listen to the podcast host. And like you said, in so many ways, it almost feels like you're friends with that person because you listen to them so often and you hear their voice so frequently. But really, they are experts, right? You're listening to them because in some way, they're an expert, even if it's in the entertainment industry, right? They're an expert at what it is that they do. And so their opinion and their advice and their recommendations carry more power than just maybe a random person or a random ad for sure would would provide. I, I also go one step further on that point, Heather, which is to say that the freedom of not having to make a spot come in on the clock, right? Uh, it also allows them the freedom to be able to expand on whatever it is they're saying about that sponsor. So, you know, if, if they feel like making it a hard minute, uh, that's fine. But if they feel like making it a minute, you know, in 10 seconds or minute and 30 seconds or up to two minutes or whatever it is, uh, they have the freedom to do that because they're not being held to, you know, a standard broadcast clock. That is such a good point. And I think that when we do look at other forms of advertising, I would say, I can't think of another advertising form that does have this flexibility in time because most often you're given a certain number of pixels or you're given a certain number of seconds. And uh, with podcast ads, they can just go on and on, right? The the host can be as authentic and as in the moment as they want to be because there's nothing that is forcing them to stop at a certain point. That's right. So that, yeah, that's a really interesting observation. Now, Dave, you are in a unique position because unlike many of the brands that we've interviewed on the podcast, you have, as an agency, been dealing with many different companies throughout the years, some of the biggest advertisers even in the space. And you have a unique perspective on how they have been able to construct campaigns to be successful. And I think many of the questions that advertisers have are, are questions like, how many ads should we buy? You know, where should we buy? You know, which podcasts are going to be best? How much should we pay? You know, what kinds of returns on investments can we expect? So I guess I'm curious, you know, without, you know, discussing any specific companies, but just maybe discussing ideas, are there certain campaign tactics that you have taken for advertisers that you've seen to be very successful? Sure, I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, I'll, I'll preface my, my comments by making this observation, which is that one of the challenges that brands have, and one of the reasons why I, I think they come to companies like ours, who have been... Uh, doing podcast advertising pretty much since the beginning, is the fact that there's no commonly used metric for audience measurement. In the case of television and radio, there's Nielsen. And companies and publishers and and broadcasters like to complain about uh, the surveying methodologies of Nielsen saying, well, you know, they, they did a survey and they really didn't cover the areas that they should have, or there aren't enough people, or, you know, the diary really doesn't work, or the 
portable people meter doesn't work exactly like I should and blah, blah, blah. But the fact is that it's the common currency for audience measurement that everybody uses. Absent that kind of currency for audience measurement, what is a brand supposed to do? How are they supposed to know who they're reaching? And the answer is they come to companies like ours that have been doing it for more than a decade. And we have a lot of experience working with um, very large companies, even governmental organizations, frankly. And we, we know all the way from startups to you know, huge, huge companies and everything in between, a direct response and brand in financial services to packaged goods to you name it. And, and so we study deeply not only the, the show and the host and the, and the format, genre and so forth, but also the audience. And we divine that kind of information from the information that's supplied to us by the podcast publishers. And everybody has a different way of surveying their audiences and that's fine, you know, but we bring it in and we try to, um, you know, uh, use that information along with our experience in doing podcast advertising for so many brands for so many years in order to come up with a rational recommendation. And then we test and we, mm-hmm. um, and we learn along the way as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, I mean, you make such a good point. And I, I think that if there is one big issue in the industry right now, it's that we don't have the standardization that other mediums you know, have. And so it, it does make it a little bit challenging. And if you're a brand out there trying to dive into this platform as, you know, a viable means for scaling advertising, it can be really challenging when there isn't kind of a voice of wisdom or experience behind a buy just because it's hard to know for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's so. right. And I, and I, and I think that, um, you know, it, that's, that's compounded by the fact that not everyone counts uh, the impressions or downloads in the same way. Uh, just to give your listeners an example, you know, one show may take an episode and count the uh, so-called downloads over a two-week period. Other publishers might do it over a four-week period, or other publishers might count the impressions or downloads for that episode over an eight-week period. And so we, you know, look at the numbers and we actually get the download and impression information sent to us by the publishers every single day for every single episode that we're on. So that way, you know, there's no guesswork. We, we actually get it uh, directly from the publishers and then we uh, just make sure that, that whatever has been promised in the buy uh, is delivered. So when brands are thinking about um, podcast advertising, what do you think is a good first step for them? Should they focus most on demographics? Should they pick um, podcasts that they like? Um, what do you think is a good first step for them? Well, it's uh, identifying who their target is, both from an you know, age, gender, and demographic kind of standpoint. Um, but usually... It has to do, well, one of the things that sometimes brands get caught up in is they say, well, I am a widget maker, and so I want to go on shows that talk about widgets. Right. And, and so what we say is, well, that's fine. You can do that. The, the problem is that there aren't very many shows that talk about widgets. And so therefore, if let's say that you score, you know, Grand Slam home runs in terms of cost per acquisition on the five shows that are about widgets what do you do then? Like, okay, you've done that. Now what? So really we try to counsel our our advertisers on what does scale look like? In other words, what would you like to do? So what we try to do is define the objective uh, for the campaign. Sometimes it will be awareness. 
So we look at things like uh, lift uh, of the brand uh, using pre and post surveys, or it might be um, some kind of landing page where there's something special on there. It might be an offer, or it might be some special content that they can see. Understanding that there's going to be a factor, and we have a lot of experience in knowing how many people generally just go to uh, the website uh, without the code or without going to the landing page, or they go to Google and just look for it even though they've been motivated by that, that thing. So I would say that uh, understanding the audience, their, the demographics, the um, age, gender, other demographics, the objective of the campaign is that what is it we're looking to do? Um, establishing a budget, um, and we can guide people on what that is, and then you know a, a timeline, when would you like to do it? And finally, what we also talk about in those you know, initial calls and what we discuss with clients are what is your copy? What is the value that you're bringing? And one of the things that we often find is that's where advertisers get stuck. Mm-hmm. They think, you know, well, this is our product or this is our service and we're great. You know, okay, well, good for you. Uh, we, we want to explore that a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, what is your story and how will you tell it? So we spend a fair amount of time actually diving into the, into the way that the copy is done. And we try to fashion it such that the brand points are made, but it also gives the podcast host some room to maneuver. You mentioned a lot of really good points in there. And I think that one of the, the points that stood out most to me was scale. Because when we're looking at creating campaigns, if you're a sizable company and you're looking to become an even larger company, if you find an advertising vehicle that does perform for you, you want to be able to scale that, right? So if we create a campaign that is successful on a handful of podcasts, what does it look like to grow that out to fully scale that and positioning your campaign going in with those kind of end goals in mind, I think is really valuable. That's right, Heather. And the other uh, thing I'd like to add to that point is that um, I would encourage whatever brands or companies are, are listening to this podcast, think about is stepping back and don't assume you know what format is going to be the best. And and one example that comes to my mind when you're discussing that is we have a client that's in the um, subscription. Uh, I I can't describe exactly who it is, Mm -hmm. but they they have a subscription product that's uh, delivered on a regular basis and you subscribe to it and, and things get delivered. And the demo would sort of lean female, uh, and so maybe that would lean toward, I don't know, uh, certain kinds of programming that you think uh, a lot of females would be listening to. But one of the shows that uh, we recommended, and it's turned out to be just a tremendous success, um, like wild success beyond their wildest dreams, is a show uh, that was a series about some political stuff that happened in the past. And so uh, <laughs> that really, um, you know, just was so... It was so different. It was so um, non-intuitive. Right. Kind of unexpected. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I do agree with you. When I started in the industry, I remember thinking, well, if you have a cat podcast, then you should just advertise cat products on it. And I think oftentimes we do approach it that way because the medium is so unique in that we can really niche down and we can get such specific topics, which is great. It sometimes feels like, well, just because you're a health and fitness product, you should only advertise on health and fitness shows. But I really feel that the most important element is targeting the correct demographic. If you know that this is the person who's going to be making a buying decision, 
that's the person that you need to reach regardless of what the topic is that is going to be discussed in the show. If your demographic is listening to that show, then I think that there's a lot of value and opportunity there. I'll also say it's important to step out even beyond that, which is to say in, in this particular case, so this is a subscription company that was, you know, let's say they felt that their demographic was leaning female, but they went on a show which would kind of indicate that it would, would go male, would, mm-hmm. would actually, um, in terms of it was talking about political misdeeds of the past and, and it's a sort of a history kind of thing. So, um, but, it, but the, the people who were listening for whom it, it, they were listening, was, it was res, the message was resonating, uh, quite, is resonating quite strongly. Hmm. Uh, you know, um, I'll, uh, I'll give you an, another example of that. We, we, many, many years ago, um, we were working uh, with the, the introduction of a Procter & Gamble product uh, that was new to the world, and the demo was, uh, coincidentally, uh, young women. Uh, that was the target that uh, P&G told us to go for. This happened to be radio. This was prior to podcast mm-hmm. versions. But we were thinking about it, and, and the, um, it happened to be uh, a teeth-whitening product, and you can probably figure out which one it is. But anyway, it was the you know, world introduction of this product. And so we said, well, um, yes, we can, we'll put you on some of those shows for sure, but we also want to put you on a show in Chicago that has a host on it who is, you know, she's in her 50s, and uh, her husband is on the show with her, and he's in his 60s. And, and uh, so the demographic's completely wrong, but she is a, a health and fitness nut and talks about that on show all the time. Lo and behold, um, this, the response was overwhelming from that show among all the other shows we did for P&G. And it was not according to what the numbers uh, should have said it would be. But because the brand had let us be a little bit more free in terms of trying different things, uh, they allowed us to go, uh, you know, let's say outside of the box in, in mm-hmm. terms of not necessarily aligning exactly to the demo because <laughs> you just never know. Right. That's interesting. I find that there's a lot of success in podcast advertising when the host is really passionate about the product and does a really good job with the ad read. Do you think that that has something to do with it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it shows uh, that they've, they've thought about it, they've understood it, and it really does sound like a strong word of mouth recommendation. Right, right. Have you found that the size of the audience has a large bearing? Um, I know you place ads for so many different companies. Do you tend to target like the mega shows or do you find success in a certain level in in terms of the size of the downloads? It's a great question. I'm going to give you a a slightly um, sort of technical marketing answer to it. There is a balance, um, and of course, a, a portfolio of shows that you use has to have a balance mm-hmm. uh, of you know large and small shows, uh, general shows and targeted shows. The the good thing about a small show that you go on is that maybe it's a low cost. Okay, that's that's great. So relatively low risk, and if it's got uh, a let's say a thematic match, like you say it's a cat show and you're selling cat things, that's even better. The challenge with small shows. But I should say, before I get into that, let me just say, on the larger shows, sometimes you're talking about pretty big numbers um, where the cost could be fairly high and therefore you think the risk is high. And there's not necessarily a thematic match between the client and the show theme. But if the host really believes in it and there's somewhat of an alignment in terms of the, the audience and the product, then it can really work. So that that's aside from that. But I want to talk more about that small show uh, dynamic because there's something called the adoption curve. And if you think about it, it looks like kind of a, a hill or an upside down U. 
which is on the left and on the lower quadrant is the early adopters. They're small in number, but they come in right away. Then as you go up the hill and to the top, it's the late majority. Um, so they hang back. They're hearing the message right away. They you know, are processing their mind, but they're just hanging back. That's just the, their nature. And then they will act eventually. Uh, so they need that repetition and, and, and then they'll do it. Or they'll think about it and you know, they'll hear it once, then never hear it again, but they'll still think about it and then they'll act later. And on the other end of the spectrum, at the far end, down on the other side of that, you are the skeptics. So if you think about a small show, even if it's a uh, targeted niche show to the kind of product, and it's like a dead-on match, you still got the challenge of the adoption curve, meaning that your um, small the number of people who are in that early adopter to late majority phase are relatively you know, small in number, they're, they're mm-hmm. a small proportion of the total people who are going to adopt your product or service, and there's a small number of them. So the, the challenge then uh, for super small shows is that it could be hard to see. So it's not that it's the, it's the wrong thing to do, and we are on plenty of, you know, small niche shows because the cost per acquisition works out great, but you should just be mindful as an advertiser or brand that if you're going to go into super small shows, there is that adoption curve dynamic to pay attention to. You laid that out really well. So do you find that there's a certain threshold that if a show gets to 10,000 downloads per episode or 50,000 downloads per episode, that the number of early adopters increases to a point where you can really kind of see some traction happening? I don't think there's a rule of thumb. Um, I think that you have to take into consideration all of the variables, which is how good is the match? How much uh, is the show? What is the cost per thousand? Uh, is it high or low? Is, what is the, does, the, does the host really like the product or service? Uh, are they going to go on about it? Is the spot ad injected and will get pulled out or will it be baked in and, be, and last for a while so that you know, people who listen to this thing later, to the show or that episode later, will be able to get to hear it or will they not? Um, is it, you know, an announcer read or is it host read? So there's a lot of variables. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the offer? Uh, you know, is the offer proven and, and does it work or, or is the offer untested? So there's a lot of variables. I, I wouldn't say that, let's say a number, you know, is something that w- there would be a rule of thumb on. No. What about split testing? Have you found, I, I feel like split testing is such a big thing in today's world and and it makes so much sense, right? If you can A-B test something and you see, especially like when we're talking offers, that one offer does resonate better than another. I think that's such a common practice in marketing, but it is, it's pretty difficult to do in podcasting as far as I can see. Have you had any success doing any split testing? Yes. It requires a bit of effort on the part of the advertiser because they need to be able to prepare uh, the different landing pages for the different offers and so forth. But um, it's a worthwhile effort because um, and even if it's not split, let's say that it's consecutive, you know, it could be that, uh, you know, the first two weeks you have offer A and then the second two weeks you have offer B and the third two weeks you have offer C. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a split kind of thing because it, it could very well be that certain, uh, and in fact, we find this, that certain audiences uh, respond much more to a certain offer compared to others. And, and there's no necessarily uh, rhyme or reason to it. It's just, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. I have always felt that there were so many elements that go into the success of advertising. It's, you know, it's the offer, it's the, you know, the verbiage and how things are phrased. It's 
the way that the host reads the ad, it's the position that the ad falls in. I mean, there's, there's so many components and yet as brands and advertisers, it's so easy to look at a show and say, oh, well, that, that show wasn't successful. We didn't get the results that we need. Do you find that when you're putting a campaign together, because I think as an agency, there's a certain level of detachment that happens, which I find as a positive, because when you're in it and it's, you know, it's your company and it's your project, you so much want it to succeed. And of course, as the agency, you want it to succeed as well, but you also have some objectivity uh, to the scenario. Do you find that advertisers throw out a podcast when maybe it wasn't the podcast, but it was the offer or it was the positioning of the ad or maybe the ad read? Have you found any of those elements? Have you been able to kind of dig into that level? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Heather. Yes, we have found that sometimes advertisers who are relatively new to podcast advertising have a um, itchy trigger finger and they'll, mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll cut stuff uh, way sooner than they should. And uh, usually, and, and, and conversely, uh, advertisers who are more experienced will allow for changes in copy or perhaps going on a you know, hiatus and then coming back to the show be it, so that there's a, a little bit more of a, a new circulation of audience. I find that the, the degree to which, I, I don't know that, it, that it's an exact correlation, but um, I find a loose correlation between the amount of effort that advertisers put into the attribution and you know uh, effort to whether or not they stay with things so for mm-hmm. example a, a, an advertiser who is committed to it and and, and really wants to make the effort uh, will relay responses if it's a direct response advertiser on a daily basis to our team and then we can look at stuff happening on a daily basis literally I mean there are times when uh, we do some, you know, for example, there's some television networks who have podcasts that are called showcasts, and we find certain days work better than other days. You know, it just that's the way it is. I don't know why, mm-hmm. um, but we we know that because we're getting response from the client on a daily basis. Versus, and that that happens to be a, a client that's doing a lot with us. But then other times, you know, maybe a, a, a new advertiser that's not really willing to put in that kind of effort will say, "Well, it didn't work. Let's cut it." You mm-hmm. know, and so. Um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of correlated to the amount of effort that they want to put into it because there are a number of variables. Yeah. Well, and I wish being in the advertising industry and podcasts that I could say, oh, podcast ads are super simple. You should give them a try. But in my opinion, they're really not that simple. I mean, they're, they're fairly multi-layered and you know, they are some work to execute. Of course, I believe that they're worth it because I think at the end of the day, the return on your investment is, is worth the effort that you put out. But I wouldn't necessarily say that podcast advertising are kind of like a plug, plug and play type of medium. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And as a company, we have committed ourselves to the amount of work that it takes to get it going because we find, frankly, that it, it does work well for companies and they can scale. And, and, I, and I, I believe in the medium generally. Uh, that's why I came up with PodSearch because I also wanted to help the, the publishers, not only with the advertising side, but also on the listener's side. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, so whatever we can do to help, we want to do, including uh, putting in that kind of effort. Now, one of the last questions I have for you is tracking results. So I know it's obviously very common in the industry to use these unique URLs and promo codes. Have you found that that's the best method of tracking results or have you done anything else that's worked? Yeah, no, I think that the name of the company slash name of show or host name is the is probably the best way to do that kind of tracking. It's just it's very important though to understand that 
the degree, there's a couple of factors. There's a couple of points here. One is the, the, the attribution factor, which is to say that some number of people, probably the majority, uh, anywhere from 50 to 70% of the people who are motivated to respond to an ad will not put in the promo code. Right. They, they just won't. And so if you know that, you can take that into consideration. And then the other thing is that there's a, a definite correlation between the power of the offer and whether or not people go to that landing page. Now, you may have a company where it's just not viable to come up with an offer. Maybe you are a, you know, a financial institution that just can't do that. And so, I mean, by law. So that's fine. I just understand that, you know, that that's going to affect the amount of attribution. Do you think that brand advertising is starting to be more prevalent in the space as opposed to the direct response? Yes, I do. Because, and I, and I think it's because the, the audience is very responsive and is highly desired. Um, Edison Research, uh, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, if you go to Edison Research and look at the study uh, that's called the Podcast Consumer 2019 uh, which is a portion of what is known as the infinite dial study that uh, Edison does, is a really great exposition of why brands uh, love this medium. These are people who have a higher than average education. They have a higher than average household income. They listen to podcasts more than any other audio. Uh, when you look at um, the total population, it's only, I think, you know, a small percentage of the total consumption. But when you look at only podcast listeners, instead of the whole population, those podcast listeners listen to podcasts more than AMFM radio, more than streaming audio, more than their own CD collection, more than anything else. So they are totally into it. They spend some six hours a day listening. Is that right? Six hours a day or six I, hours a day? I, I think actually, I thought it was like five hours a day, but it was. Maybe it's five. I think it's up to six yeah. now. Yeah, it might uh, be. Yeah. yeah. And, it, but it's um, a considerable amount of time. <laughs> it's a considerable amount of time. And it's, uh, and it's not just casual listening where maybe you're sitting on the couch watching TV and also on Facebook on your phone. You're, you know, it's, it's definitely intense listening and you've, you've got the world around you blocked out by your headphones, generally mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the reason um, it is the desirable demographic and it's in a format that is highly uh, compelling. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's such an intentional practice, right? You don't just stumble on a podcast. You have to put so much effort into actually finding the show and the episode that you want to listen to. So That's right. um, when you get there, you're going to listen, which is great. Well, Dave, thanks so much for being on the show today. And I know you, you had brought up PodSearch, but do you want to tell us a little bit more about the platform that you created in PodSearch? Oh, sure. Yeah. Thank you very much, Heather. Yes, I would love to. Um, I'll just uh, close by saying that this was our attempt to help the publishers. You know, I've, I've, I've spent a, a lifetime in business uh, being just an ad agency. I don't mean just an ad agency, but focused mm -hmm. on advertising. And it was in 2016 that um, it occurred to me that the publishers were really needing help both to be discovered by listeners and to be discovered by advertisers. And I, I sort of did a 180 on, on my thinking about what we could do and what we could be. And instead of just focusing on helping the advertisers and being their advocate, I thought, well, what if we're helping the content creators? What if we're helping the publishers? And so I thought, well, I wonder how big that population is. And I did some research and it turned out it was about 30 million people a month who are searching on search and social and other places for basic, I mean, really basic 
podcast information. They would put in things like, what's a podcast? Or how do I find a podcast? Or what's a great podcast? Not show names, but just very high level questions, 30 million a month. So I thought, wow, these people really could use some help, obviously. I mean, there's some fantastic listening apps that have uh, direct, not directories, but search functionality in it. But it's really not a, an easy to use directory that gives you multiple ways to listen. So I thought, well, I'll just have a, a, a model where we charge a small amount to the pod, podcast publishers and pool that money together, buy the media to bring in those people, those 30 million some odd people, and then have them browse for free and then listen any way they like. So we don't have a, an episode player in our system at all. We push people to Apple, Google, Spotify, all the rest, even the podcast's website. That's the, the listing side of our operation. And the other side is the advertising uh, side, which is pod search ad it, that, I, that I described in the rest of this podcast. Excellent. Yeah. So people can go to podsearch.com and there they can find really hundreds of different podcasts, right? So if yeah, thousands actually. Thousands. Okay, great, great. Yeah. So yeah, that, it's a, a very valuable resource. And I'm sure you were happy to see on the Edison report that one of the top ways that people find podcasts is just through web search. So that was... Well, it wasn't... Yeah. And of course, I had done that research to find out that there was those, you know, 30 million people that were doing that. And and it's it's a pretty unsatisfying way to do it. So we love being, um, you know, right there at the top when people do search because that's where they are and that's where we want to get them. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dave. It's been great talking with you and getting all of your insights about podcast advertising. If people want to find out more about you or PodSearch, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, I think they can just uh, go to podsearch.com and on the upper right corner, there's a little button that says uh, interested in podcast advertising. And if they click that, they can get to us uh, any number of different ways. Excellent. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Heather. Really appreciate it. It was so great to have Dave on the show. And to wrap up the episode today, I just wanted to pull out some highlights that he brought up during our conversation so you could really kind of see what the important pieces of the conversation were. So first, when you're working with podcasts, realize that you're working with an independent person most of the time. So they're really not um, constrained in the same way that radio stations are, which means that they have a greater vested interest in the success of the campaign. They want your podcast ad to be successful because if you succeed, then they succeed. Podcasts also have a much looser structure than traditional terrestrial radio because they aren't confined to specific time limits. The podcast ad can go on for, you know, some time. Typically, we sell 60-second ad reads, but often podcast ads run much longer than that. So there's that kind of nice added bonus. You do need to identify your target market, which you, you should do, obviously, in all advertising, and then really define your campaign objectives. So are you interested in creating brand awareness? Are you looking for a direct response? Do you want to market a specific product? And then next, don't assume that you know what is best for your brand when it comes to podcast advertising, because it really can be a different beast. You may need a campaign on a podcast that does not fit your ideal target and your ideal kind of topic. So when I first started in podcast ads, I thought, gosh, you know, if you have a pet podcast, then you really should just market pet products on that pet podcast. But really, it's more about the demographic, not necessarily the topic or the genre of the podcast. And finally, uh, there is a direct correlation between the power of the offer in your ad and the listeners visiting the landing page. 
So remember that 50 to 70% of people motivated to respond to the ad will not put in the promo code. So it's very, very common for podcast ads to have a unique URL or a unique promo code. But remember that the vast majority of people who are going to come and visit your site and make a purchasing decision are not going to put the promo code in. So really think about that and make the offer really worth their while so that they will, you know, take the extra step to put the promo code in so you can have that tracking. That's all for today. We really appreciate you listening to the show and I hope that it was helpful. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.